Pilot TV podcast this week, we're heading three million years into deep space for the triumphant return of Lister, Rimmer, Crichton and Cat in Red Dwarf, The Promised Land. And if you don't think having Terry watch a feature-length episode as her introduction to this show was worth tuning in for, then you've clearly not been paying attention. And, speaking of Terry, in an incredible turnaround, given that her autobiography isn't actually released in print until later this year, we'll also be reviewing BBC Two's adaptation of her story, (laughs) which for some reason has been renamed Alma's Not Normal. (laughs) I'm James Dyer, and welcome to the Pilot TV Podcast, a show that reviewed a third series this week, only to find out literally two hours before recording (laughs) this episode that the embargo for Killing Eve Season 3 isn't up until Tuesday. Arse. So, with now just two shows to properly review this week, we'll try and make up in style what the show will clearly lack in substance. Joining me for this unmitigated shit show once more are my two co-hosts, and continuing the current Twitter meme du jour, first up, is a woman whose 1st of March picture was Sliding Doors Gwyneth, but whose 1st of April look is now End of Seven Gwyneth. It's Terry White. You cheeky fucker. <laughs> How you doing? This is a, right, I should though. point out, we've had to start this podcast again because, and I shit you not, there was a chainsaw being wielded naturally at Terry's end, which rather interrupted the audio. <laughs> I, I can only apologise if it's not... Um, Feces or breast milk, it's uh, men wielding chainsaws in the street. The Hampstead Chainsaw Massacre. That's (laughs) right, yeah. And you just heard him, but joining us as well is a man whose 1st of March look was King Ezekiel, but whose 1st of April look is Joe Exotic. It's Boy (laughs) Hilton. Thank you very much. Um, See, as a a Hot Tiger King reference That was very topical (laughs) pop culture reference for you, yeah. There you go, there you go. I pay attention. Still haven't fucking seen it, but I do pay attention. Of course not. How are you both? Are you you weathering this still? We're in, what is this, week 96 of isolation? Well, it's Um, technically week... People keep saying, people are driving me mad because they keep saying, oh, it's only week two, it's only week two. I haven't been only sequestering myself for week two i'm not going to trust the government to to basically issue a lock a lockdown until i actually sit in my house i've been here some quite some time um i mean you've been there for like six months haven't you? i have been here for six months <laughs> um i haven't left that it's now friday i haven't left the house since last saturday wow wow is that true yeah that is that, true that's incredible that is true you are allowed to leave the house I know, but okay. I'm so you bored just... of walking the same streets no. and looking okay. at the same things and, you know, feeling the the air and sun and wind on my face. Who needs all of that when I can uh, have an arse-shaped sofa where I'm just going to sit and watch <laughs> loads of telly and movies? Fair enough. Yeah. There's a, there are nice green spaces near where you live. Beautiful walks to take. Yeah, beautiful Hampstead Heath, which is Ramo with bellends. <laughs> oh god yeah. yeah surely those bellends are not allowed to be wandering Hampstead heath at the moment since they're under lockdown well uh it, it's not quite locked down um no. so we went once and i panicked and came home because there were too many people near me um wow. so yeah I, I i prefer my house the house is me i am the house house i am the house <laughs> you that are house fair. insanity sets in okay yeah. good 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 all right well shall we Kick off with what we've been watching, which in Terry's case, I assume, is all the television. Yeah, it should be called What I've Not Been Watching, um, (laughs) because there's nothing else to do. Um, So I, a few things, a few things this week. I started watching Spooks again 
from yes. the very beginning. Don't worry, though. I'm not going to try and banshee it because I understand the rules <laughs> of that particular franchise. Have you done, have you done the chip fat episode? Uh, well, that's the only reason I started watching it was because I really wanted to watch oh that episode again. And I felt it would just be weird and sick to watch it without actually the context of watching the entire thing. Um, I finished the last episode of Save Me 2 last night, very Ooh. late, which is, I mean words all of them incredible so many questions um so many things to talk about which we can't talk about because um it only started this week and people probably won't have watched it all but it is as phenomenal as we hoped it was last week based on the first two episodes um and then i watched something that um i wish we'd reviewed actually but i presume we didn't get it in time which is unorthodox oh i knew you were gonna say that yeah yeah which came to netflix last week boy they didn't tell anyone about it Oh, it's, I mean, but it's become this, like yeah. Tiger King, even though it's yeah. nothing like Tiger King, it's become this massive word of mouth kind of phenomenon, um, which is this, um, it's based on a memoir of a Hasidic woman who left her community, kind of loosely based, the character in it is actually fictional. And it's a story of this 19-year-old woman who flees um, to Berlin to escape her marriage and community. In Brooklyn, it's by the same woman who created Deutschland 83. Um, it stars Shira Haas, who's this huge Israeli movie star. She is phenomenal in the lead role. It's in Yiddish and German and English. I think it's the first Netflix show, which is primarily in Yiddish. And actually what's really exciting about it is it's an amazing drama, but really it's got this kind of um, a beating heart thriller at the middle of it. And it's really kind of propulsive and compelling. And I started watching it the other night because um, I'd seen somebody talking about it and I kind of fell into a hole of five episodes before I could even blink. So I love that. Boyd, have you seen that? Yeah. Yeah, it was fantastic. Yeah, yeah it's great, isn't it? Yeah, they didn't. They just, it's again, they're just a lot of shows they just don't really tell you about now in advance and i think because this one was i don't know because it is mainly subtitled um it's an israeli german co-production um and uh yeah it's only four parts but yeah it's fan- absolutely brilliant yeah so it's so good it's like it's not only is it um as you say it's kind of directed like a thriller isn't it mm-hmm. particularly the, the first episode where she's trying to escape yeah it's almost like the beginning of the invisible man in fact, yeah, yeah, when, yeah. when someone is trying to just get away from their the the situation and it's really tense and exciting and then it becomes all the flashbacks to her community back in williamsburg and it's a very it's not just a normal in quotes um, ultra orthodox uh community of jews it's a specific quite small sect which is really quite in inverted commas extreme in its in its attitudes and its practices it's full-on like fundamentalist mm. jewishness it's extraordinary and those flashbacks to like the, at one point i think there's a the wedding her wedding is yeah. and just seeing the detail of that and the detail of the sexual relations the way you're supposed to do that when you become married all of that detail is unbelievable it's just you just don't never see that mm. on tv you never see this world on tv so it's got all that as an insight into a world you never see of a highly enclosed um religious sect basically um and then the story on top of that of her escape to berlin the escape the sense of freedom the moments where she she suddenly feels i'm she's free and there's one bit where she walks into the lake isn't there just watching the music yeah 
that moment. Incredibly powerful. Yeah, I think it is absolutely brilliant. It is, it's really annoying that we didn't get to review it because it's so good, but we're talking about it. I knew, I knew you would, you were good. In fact, I was like, I bet Terry, I'm not going to tell her about it because I know she's going to find it and watch it. And then you tweeted about it yesterday. And I was like, fuck, I wanted to do that because that's the thing I've been watching. Weirdly, I'd quite um, like to have seen that. Yeah, yeah, it's you so should good, watch honestly. It. Mm. I think you'd like that it. Appeals you'd to really me. Like yeah. It. It's absolutely brilliant, yeah. I also watched the rest of Save Me and it went from I, I, I think it's gone from off you see one to three and you think, Oh yeah, this is like even better than series one and one of the best things of the year. And then you see four to six and you think this is a masterpiece and one of the mm. best things I've ever seen. It's so incredible. The juggling that Lenny James does as a writer. I was like, how has he juggled all these elements? Because it's much more complicated than series one, mm. more characters. And he somehow kind of devotes just enough time to all of them and to him and his central dilemma. Um, it's unbelievable how he's done it. You know, sometimes you just watch a thing and you go, how have they actually done that? Mm. In six hours, how have they told that much story? And also have moments to pause and breathe where you just kind of sit back and think about, the, the the ideas and the characters themselves it's absolutely incredible yeah so that um i was trying to think of one other thing that i'd seen that terry hasn't mentioned and i don't know if it even counts as tv but you know national theater is doing these is putting its plays up online on its youtube channel and they had one man two governors which they kind of had a had a viewing party thing for on thursday last week and it's going to be there for like i think another week and that was james corden's um the it was a play that james corden started and i think it was what it went to it was in the national theater and they went to broadway i saw mm. it both places and it is if you want to see james corden you know there's still there's still doubters that people go oh james Corden, he's a bit of a twat he's not you know He's not that great. Well, watch him in One Man, Two Governors, and it is the, the skill, the comedic skill over uh, this nearly three-hour mm. stage play that you can now watch uh, on YouTube is incredible. He is so brilliant in that. I like James um, Corden. I think he's great. Oh, I love we, – I think yeah. we, all, we all love him here, but – there are, you know, it's the old story. People, people just slag people off for whatever fucking reason. Anyway, mm. but one man, two governors, which you can watch effectively on your wherever, is brilliant. I think okay. that reminded people what a good actor he was. Yeah, because well, I think yeah. people forgot that for a mm. while. He's yeah. an incredible actor. Uh, unbelievable! Yeah, <laughs> the ch- it's hilariously the funny. <laughs> Loving yeah, that the chainsaw's making a return appearance. <laughs> the chainsaw is back. I stuck my head out the window. I was going to shout at them and then realise that I'm not allowed to because it's two o'clock in the afternoon and if they want to use the chainsaw on the pavement, they can. Rule of thumb, Terry, you should never shout at a man with a chainsaw. It's just not a good idea. (laughs) Um, Right, you, James? What what have I been watching? Well, you will, of course, be thrilled to hear that I am now on the final episode of Battlestar Galactica. It is the very, very last one. (laughs) I've been saving it. I've been saving up for it. But... And I haven't had time to start it, but I've watched all the ones up to it now. So it's just, it's the home stretch, the three hours of Battlestar Galactica, and then I'll be done. And you'll never have to hear about it again until have I. Have you, you like know, redrawn time? Have you redrawn yeah. time? Yeah. I've been drawing it out. I've been drawing it out. It's, I'm sure uh, that time I'm I know it. it. It does not exist in the same way that it does for you because you have been watching it for years. Mm. I think mm. what you mean to say, Terry, is all of this has happened before and all of this will happen again. Oh my god! <laughs> right. uh, the other thing I wanted to say, the other thing I want to say oh, is, god. Uh, god bless John Oliver. So last week's night, I've mentioned before, which is one of my favourite TV shows, and um, and it, it made me really sad when he did his kind of coronavirus one, where you know they had the bare minimum people in the studio, and he's like, you know, we're going, we're off the air now, we will be back in some form. Did a big coronavirus special, and then went, I thought, oh, God, what am I going to do without last week tonight? And then this week, we brilliantly had the first last week tonight from John Oliver's house. And it was a brilliant, it was a full episode, except without the audience. And again, he tells you everything you need to know and, and goes in, into 
detail about the shit show that is the American reaction to the coronavirus. And I just he's he's the man we need. He is the voice that I need to get me through this this thing because he's so funny. And even though the news is bleak, and even though what he tells you is often quite profound and touching and and often very important, you know he, he he's he's a very funny man. I like him a lot. So, so oh. last week's night is brilliant. All the American chat shows as well are doing are doing yeah. kind of coronavirus. Spe- like James Corden did one. In yeah. fact, he did a from home host. Mm. Yeah, from um, where they mix and and it's, it's really, really interesting to see how they're all dealing with that. And the, invariably, the, well, I like the bits where their kids invariably walk in by mistake and start <laughs> kind of crawling all over Daddy as he's trying to host a globally famous chat show. Well, it was yeah. funny. I was I was listening to the Guardian uh, political podcast and they were saying like when it was question time, they had to do this sort of like live like whatever is like the, like a video link up. Yeah. Uh, to Downing Street and they're waiting for their slot to speak to the Prime Minister and there's a question of, what do you have in the background you know do you need what, what? No, she's like I live in a flat chair in Hackney you know there's like six of us here and you know I'm queuing to speak to the Prime Minister it's like what do I have do I have bookshelves do I have a nice picture there is there a plant like it's just it's really funny the kind of yeah. way everyone's adapting to this this way of working it's it's I mean it's bizarre I mean, everybody well. is having bookshelves so they can show off yeah. about what a massive pretentious twat they are. <laughs> yeah, like everybody's totally. like that, r- kind of moving the like day mm. car like closer to the middle yeah. so that everybody can see the spines. I know. Shut up. Well, all of my books, and one wall of my the room that I record this in is is entirely bookshelves. You can't actually see them because they're off to one side. They're, it is wall to wall science fiction and fantasy. That there's not one fucking Descartes book oh, on there. I can like tell you that shocked. right now. <laughs> I am shocked and stunned. There's no Descartes. Descartes. No fucking Descartes in my bookshelf. Uh, No, it's great. I love it. Uh, in fact, I, I should move the camera because Chris, like Chris is, uh, when we were doing the Empire podcast, the, the backdrop to Chris's study is just a, a sort of a, a dryer with his washing on it. So it's just Chris's <laughs> I mean, boxer shorts. So yeah. literally, and I kid you not, he has moved his desk so that his bookshelf and his geeky stuff is now in the background. <laughs> so there you go. Um, oh. That's my mic, sorry. You're right, boy. <laughs> yeah. You're right. Uh, shall we shall we move on now to a listener question? This week's question comes from Alistair Cameron, who says, What's your f- lots of noise? Sorry. <laughs> I'm trying to fix my mic, sorry. Okay. Is it all done? Yeah. I think Boyd's right. masturbating. No, <laughs> don't. <laughs> I was reaching for my tea. <laughs> Is that what you call it? Right. <laughs> anyway, this week's question is from Alistair Cameron, and he says, what's your favourite theme music for a TV show? And also, do you prefer short or long? This is inspired by the fact that he's been watching the Picard finale and it won't let him skip the intro. Well, I mean, there's only, there's only one right answer, isn't there? Is 1963. There? Yeah, 1963. What's happened? Ron Grainer... Um, wrote this piece of music. Uh, Delia Derbyshire recorded it, and it's one of the most um, uh, groundbreaking pieces of electronic music ever written. It is the Doctor Who theme. And every time the Doctor Who theme comes on, and I've been, I've been watching this program in almost my entire life, ever since I was about seven, um, and watched every episode that's ever been on, every time that theme comes on, I always get incredibly excited, and um, the hairs on the back of my neck stand up, and all of that. And it's just, it is the a magically weird, slightly creepy, incredibly exciting um, theme song, that theme tune that has gone through myriad kind of re-recordings and slight updates. And, you know, the, there's a, the current version is slightly different to how it was uh, a couple of years ago. And each one is still retains that tune, that incredible tune and the incredibly kind of out, otherworldly quality to it. It is definitely the Doctor Who theme tune is the greatest theme tune ever. Um, I, in passing, I would mention Succession, which is my favourite of recent years. And, and that is like 
there's something it's beautiful incredible Nicholas Patel's succession theme every time that comes on I'm incredibly excited and the Westworld theme I love them both of those are kind of piano based ones um that kind of <laughs> no, the chainsaw oh, the alarm. you've now got a chainsaw <laughs> and a police run there is a whole police procedural playing out in the background of Terry's flat <laughs> It's like Terry's Incredible. partner with a chainsaw has just butchered the neighbours. The police have turned up. They're dragging him out the house. She's reenacting Scarface, basically. Oh, my God. I'm sorry. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Succession, Westworld, all both beautiful, brilliant. Oh, Westworld. Westworld is a very good shout. Remind you the score for that is amazing. Yeah. But the best theme tuner is definitely Doctor Who. I mean, Doctor Who's a good shout. Even I can't argue with that. Thanks. Terry, what would your choices be? Well, I've got a few. No, so have I. Believe me. So... Oh, she's consulting she, her list. She's picked up a book. <laughs> yeah. Um, Charmed. So oh, it's how it's a, it's a cover of How Soon Is Now. Um, this is the Love Split Love it, thing, isn't it? Love Split Love. So it makes it okay because it's not actual Morrissey. Question um, for you. Question for you. Yes. Did did they use it before the craft used it? They must like, have done. Who yeah. Who used it first? Because that's obviously the mute. That's the song they used for the Charmed. craft trailer, didn't they? Charmed. Yeah. So. Thieves. Um, <laughs> The OC, um, Dawson's Creek. Is oh, like, I don't, don't want to wait. wait for our lives to be What else speaks to teenage longing mm. to be an adult and for like things to happen and for like yeah. to get off with a boy? Like, all of that was encapsulated in that song. And then, oh, Buffy. Yes, Nerf Herder. Nerf Herder, which is actually when you listen to it without the credits, it's mad. No, it's it's not, like yeah. full, propulsive, deranged mad. Um, <laughs> and then I want to give a special shout out to the raccoons. The, the raccoons? <laughs> yeah, the cartoon. The raccoons. Oh, I thought this was like some kind of dubstep band that I'm unfamiliar with. Sorry, go on. No, the cartoon, the raccoons, which has one of the most emotional, heart-swelling theme tunes ever. The end. Okay. I don't know that one. <laughs> YouTube it. I, I play. I think I played it to Ben Travis in the Empire Office once to try and make him feel what I used to feel. Um, it didn't work. Um, what would mine be? I mean, obviously the first base answer would be uh, Snuffy Walden's West Wing theme tune, but that would just that's, that's my opening gambit. I think Game of Thrones actually. Ramin Djawadi's Game of Thrones, the whole sequence, the music, everything. His whole score for that, like the piece in that Light of the Seven and uh, and Winds of Winter, particularly from that that era soundtrack which i think is season six so fucking good uh i love all of that stuff and he also did westworld didn't he he, he did, did also both. do West- yeah. westworld he's very very good um mm. i was at yan hammer's miami vice i've got a soft spot for that oh yeah will do i yeah, think that's great the rembrandt's friends theme that's kind of oh. one that's you know but yeah, just because it's iconic like, i'm not saying like yeah, it's but... a great song like the rembrandt's no. they did well didn't it's they? annoying um fresh prince Fresh Prince. <laughs> in West Philadelphia, born and raised in a playground. Oh, is I have to say, I wasn't expecting you to pick French Prince. Fresh Prince. French Prince. I won't do the whole thing. But I could do the whole thing, I, just I, to yeah. clarify. This is becoming abundantly clear. Um, Bear McCreary's Battlestar Galactic score is magnificent, and the theme tune to that is great. The only thing I don't like about the theme to that is at the end of the title sequence, Battlestar Galactica, they do that really old-school thing. You remember they used to do in, like, 80s shows, where you'd get, like, a weird little montage of everything that's going to come up in the next hour? So they, they show you the highlights of the episode just before you watch the episode. But, of course, it's full of massive spoilers. So every episode of Battlestar I watch, at the end of the credits, I have to close my eyes until that particular bit of music is finished, so I don't see what's coming. <laughs> 
coming in the episode. That's and I so still cute. do it, even for my recent rewatch. Brilliant. Even for my rewatch, I've been closing my eyes for that section you so I don't diff. have the episode ruined because I won't have remembered <laughs> all of it. That so is brilliant. That annoys the shit out of me. Uh, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt has an amazing theme song. Mm-hmm. I think that's really, really good. Um, Sopranos woke up this morning. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, I do remember. Do you remember the uh, explosions in the sky score to the Friday Night Lights movie? Sort of very sort of guitar based acoustics. Really, really good. They declined no. the opportunity to do the theme tune to the TV show, <laughs> and Snuffy Walton did a kind of an explosions in the sky version of it. Sort of like almost like a sort of aping their style. But that's really, really good as well. What else have I got? Terry, Terry, I'm surprised you didn't pick A Law and Order. They've got pretty iconic music. Well, no, but it's it's brilliantly. Um functional and prosaic that's the bit that's the amazing thing about <laughs> much like La- the show lauren order svu like it's just <laughs> overlaying some weird sepia specials of the actors stood superimposed over the brooklyn bridge i mean it's kind of um incredibly dated and brilliant in in you being just, so you just reminded me the house house one of um mine and terry's favorites with with um with Hugh, that they the actual theme tune was Massive Attack's Teardrop, which is a beautiful, brilliant song, and it matched and it was perfect for the for the mm. title sequence. But the rights, for some reason, around the world globally, we they didn't get the rights to it. So in America, if you watched it in America, but if you got like British DVDs of it, it had some other piece of shit really? music instead. Yeah, I it was so annoying. I know that. Yeah, really. Uh, annoying. I like the Luther theme actually. That's a Massive Attack song. I can't remember the name of it. The other last ones I would say is uh, the Wires theme down way down in the hole, where it's a different artist who performs it each year. That's amazing. It's the blind Boys of Alabama season one. I think Tom Waits, whose song it is, is season two. And then it's Neville Brothers, Domage, do four. And then uh, Steve Earle does season five. That's really good. And the last shout out I would give is the, and I had to pick a Star Trek. This was a difficult one for me, but Dennis McCarthy's Deep Space Nine theme. Now, Deep Space Nine theme, but in the latter season. So when Deep Space Nine gets good, which can, there are three things which give you the sign of when Deep Space Nine gets good. Uh, Cisco shaves his head and grows a beard, Worf arrives, and importantly, they speed up the theme tune. So the, the the theme tune, which was this sort of slightly mournful, slow-paced thing, it takes a tick up tempo. They speed it right up, and it gets a little bass line in it, a little sort of drum beat, uh, and then it gets really good. Before then, it was a little bit plodding. But uh, Latter-day Deep Space Nine will be my last, uh, my last offering for that. I'm going to mention Sherlock as well. Oh, Sherlock, Sherlock, yes. It's, I love it, yeah. That's, that's another good. one that, that yeah, that... that Who's that? Who's so that? For it. David Arnold. David, it's David Arnold. That's really, yeah. really good. Yeah, it's, it's jaunty. I enjoyed yeah, this. Jaunty, jaunty and quite very short. Talking of the original <laughs> question, is brief but beautiful. <laughs> it Perfect. Is brief but beautiful. As indeed this segment is not. Right. <laughs> that was Alistair's question. We hope we've addressed that appropriately. If you would like to ask us a question, please fire it via DM to us on Twitter at Pilot TV Mag, and we will see about answering it on the podcast. <laughs> Right. Shall we get on to what little news there is in the world? Uh, what have we got happening, Boyd? Well, um, Snowpiercer is happening. Now, for me, this is one of the most delayed, yeah. rejigged showrunners coming and going shows of recent years. 
It was originally um, going to, it was originally put in development in 2015, ordered to pilot in 2016, ordered to series in 2018. The showrunner, Josh Friedman, left. Another showrunner, Graham Matson, took over. Scott Derrickson, the director, the pilot's original director, he left. James Hawes took over for reshoots in July 2018. It moved from channels, moved to TBS, to TNT. It's back at TBS in America. It's supposed to be on Netflix here. It's been brought forward now because of the virus to May 17th, 9pm in America. And fuck knows where Netflix is going to show it here. But I can only guess, I can only hope that they show it shortly afterwards. But I'm because Snowpiercer, the film, is fantastic. But then obviously. it's appropriate, isn't it? Because the film didn't get UK distribution for no. years. Yeah. It wasn't available. So. Exactly, yeah. And I'm fascinated to see how they turn into a, to an ongoing TV show. They've already renewed it for a second season. So, you know, it can't be that bad. Or, you know, hopefully mm. it's quite good. So, yeah, hopefully we'll get to see Snowpiercer in the middle of May and it will be good. Yeah, let, let's hope that both these things are true. I've got some news that I'm not sure is news, only that uh, Chris Doohan, son of James Scotty Doohan, uh, tweeted this week that uh, the cat was out of the bag and that uh, he said a certain someone will be appearing as Scotty in season two of Picard, which asks all manner of questions. The wow. first would be, he tweeted this sort of in the middle of the week, and I in retrospect, wonder whether it was the first, first of April and it could have been a joke, but I don't think it was because um, he's. I think he's lobbied for parts before, but he obviously, James Doohan's son, uh, and if he played Scotty, he couldn't be the same Scotty because that wouldn't make any sense unless there's some weird time travel element because Scotty has appeared in the Next Generation timeline, as in he turned up in a, in a Next Gen episode while he was old. James Doohan, of course, is dead now. Um, so will he be playing Scotty's son, Scotty Jr.? Who knows? A Scotty dog? I have no idea. Neither of you yeah. care. No, well, I'm, not, I'm very, very excited. I know what Terry's news is going to be, though. Yes, you Can do. I say the words law and order SVU? Yeah, chung, I chung. Chung, chung. Elliot Stabler is back. So after too many years, nine years, almost ten years, our favourite male member of SVU. You really shouldn't say nobody, male member on a family friend. Male program. member, especially, especially <laughs> not when favorite. it comes to Christopher Maloney. Um, no. There is a scene in SVU, by the way, where he takes his shirt off um, and takes his pants off, and I'm pretty sure you get to see his his male member. <laughs> that's wow. by the by. That's by the by. No, like, if you pause it just right, like in all the right moves. <laughs> <laughs> so it was announced this week that there's going to be a new Dick Wolf drama. Dick Wolf is obviously the overlord. Putting the dick in the, Wolf. Of the Law and Order verse. Um, and he has done Law and Order, Law and Order SVU. There's been essentially so many iterations of Law and Order. I think there's going to be a Law and Order hate crimes coming up, which is also... <laughs> Law and Order isolation. Um, yeah. And this is a 13-episode series... And it's going to be focusing on Elliot Stabler, who we last saw at the end of season 12 in Law and Order SVU. Um, when he left very abruptly due to real life circumstances because he couldn't agree a new contract. So there are so many things unresolved, um, mainly why he hasn't phoned Live Back in nine years. Um, it is <laughs> going to be set in New York, which also means there are many, many, many opportunities, one would imagine, for an SVU crossover because they're both set in New York. And look, all anybody wants who is a fan of Law & Order SVU is for there to be a reunion between 
live in Elliot. That's all we've wanted for a decade. I mean, is that too much to ask? After all the years we've put into that show, which is now in its 21st season, is that too much to ask? No, because it's going to happen. Wow. It's exciting. I'm, yeah. This is my excited face. Yes, Elliot Stabler's back. <laughs> well, in other news, Lock and Key has been renewed for season two, which is good news, I'm saying. Uh, however, in less good news, Netflix has cancelled both uh, October Faction and V Wars after just one season each. Boo. Cancelled Yeah, but what? they were both terrible, weren't yeah. they? Yeah. I don't know. I didn't watch either of them, but, but neither of them are coming back, so I'm not going to start now. <laughs> we didn't review yeah, either of them. We but, didn't. Uh, no. we, we didn't watch news. them. Yeah. We didn't watch them, but we're clearly very up. I watched V Wars, so you didn't have to. Oh, and that's it was right, shit. You did, didn't you? Yeah, it was shit. Um, did you hear Jamie Lee Curtis was rumoured, rumoured, emphasis on rumoured, to be appearing in The Mandalorian Season 2? Oh. Yeah. I mean, we don't really know if this is going to happen, but Making Star Wars Net uh, has said that she was spotted on the Season 2 Mandalorian set, presumably before it shut down. Uh, thus, maybe she will be a Mandalorian or something else. Or maybe she just knows someone who works on it and she was visiting. We don't really know. I saw some Obi-Wan news, James, which I presumed you would be excited by. Yes, indeed. So this uh, this is Joby Harold, isn't it? So he's going to be, yeah. he's the new writer uh, for Obi-Wan Kenobi. He wrote King Arthur, Legend of the Sword. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't John know. Wick 3. John uh, Wick yes. 3, better than King Arthur, Legend of the oh, Sword, yeah. I would argue. I may have buried the lead there. I was working up to that. Yes, he did also work on John Wick Chapter 3, Parabellum. Um, so yeah, that's uh, that's uh, sense that at least that Obi-Wan is sort of ticking along in the background. When we'll get to see that, obviously, is uh, is a little bit unclear at this point. But yeah, that's uh, that's pretty exciting stuff. In other Star Wars news, I should probably mention that Empire is doing weekly Mandalorian spoiler specials at the moment, where we are breaking down each episode of their drop, which is hot, cutting-edge news for all of you people who watched it six months ago. But for everyone else, uh, watch along with us, by all means. You can subscribe to Empire Spoiler Special Podcast at glow.fm slash empirefilm. Uh, or if you can't remember that, if you just Google Empire Spoiler Special Podcast, there's a page that will come up. Um, so, yes, do do join us for that. Anything else been happening? I was going to mention Easter TV because Easter's coming up soon. And I know, you know, it's, Easter's going to be really weird this year for the for our whole world. Um, but Easter is always like the second only to Christmas as being like big TV week. And um, that's when ITV's quiz is going to be on the three-part drama um, written by James Gray and directed by Stephen Frears with incredible cast that we will be reviewing on the show, obviously. And also... Um, they're showing um, Devs arrives on BBC Two that week, and they're going to show it, which is um, they're going to show it in two episodes a week. But they also put the whole series up as well mm. on, I think, the Thursday of Easter week, whatever the fuck that day is. Um, and hopefully, we'll be reviewing that as well next week. There's a, it's going to be a bumper week next week, um, and uh, that series with Martin Compton, The Nest, which is on mm. Sunday nights, which is actually really, really good. By it's the way, it's great. Should have mentioned that in what we've been watching, just realised. But they're showing that on consecutive nights, the final two episodes on Easter Sunday and Monday on BBC One. So there's loads of good stuff that week. And, of course, Killing Eve arrives, um, which we'll be talking about soon. <laughs> we think. Uh, yes, indeed. Oh, it definitely arrives. Oh, it definitely arrives. When yeah. we can talk about it is the other thing. Yeah. Um, uh, what else has been happening? Oh, did you see Nicole Kidman starring and producing in, um, in Pretty Things for Amazon? 
which is uh, which is based no, on on the as an upcoming novel by Janelle Brown called Pretty Things. Uh, it is about two brilliant but damaged women who try to survive the greatest game of deceit and destruction they will ever play when a reluctant grifter befriends a wealthy influencer on the shores of Lake Tahoe, revealing a con that develops into a treacherous game of long-awaited payback. That's quite a long sentence for, for a pitch, but yeah, there you go. Yeah. Anything else? No. Will Smith is oh he's hosting a comedy series for Queeby. He's going to be uh, comparing that, but it's Queeby, so we don't care. <laughs> when is Queeby launched? By the way, uh, yeah. it's, it's very hard yeah. to say because it's, oh, okay. it's on track still for yeah April in the states. But I've heard. Are we about are it. we even getting it? Do we even? Fuck, get yeah, fuck knows. No. I'm not reviewing things no. on my phone. It's just not happening. Um, Okay. okay. Um, I, I was going to say ITV put out the first picture of Russell Tovey's new show, which is now called The Sister, which was previously called Because the Night, and it's written by Luther Cross of Luther, Luther fame, and it stars Russell in his uh, first episode. You mean it's absolute... written by Neil Cross of Luther fame? What did I say? You said Luther Cross. Luther Cross of Neil fame. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Neil Cross it's of written Luther by fame. Luther Cross of Neil yeah. fame. <laughs> Can yeah. you imagine if Luther was called Neil? <laughs> that, that would be, be the best thing. Yeah. Like, I'm Neil. The spin-off. And Neil just turns up and solves crime. Neil, Neil. <laughs> Please make this happen. Yeah. Anyway, this fucking series is now called The Sister, <laughs> starring Russell Tovey in, in the lead. Um, and Bertie Carvel's in it, and Amrita Cherry is in it. But it's been put back to the autumn by ITV, annoyingly. It's supposed to be spring. Why? Um, I think it's what we were talking about recently, where they want to have some things they want to hold back because they think it's going to be mm. a big deal and they feel like not enough attention and publicity is going to be done for it. In fact, I think it's all to do with the publicity, to be honest. Mm. I think they wanted to go really big on it. Um, and I know they were talking about doing virtual press launches and things like that, but they are hard. You know, it's hard to get attention for those things. So I think that's the only reason they've, they've put it back. But they have released the first picture of it just to whet our appetites. Um, and it looks really good. It's going to be, it's quite horror. It's quite kind of full on horror thriller is it supernatural isn't it that's one of the big things of it so i think that's going to be really good here's some not really relevant slightly tangential news for you you know we talked about a while ago about the last of us tv show uh, that was coming mm. based on the playstation game well the last of us 2 the sequel to said game which was due to come out next month has been delayed indefinitely and i am devastated by this fact like this was going to be my entertainment for lockdown this is what was going to keep me going um they've decided not to do it and i I get the impression it's because they obviously they don't think people will be buying going out to buy physical copies of games but i'm like surely there is no better time to drop a game that people can download digitally about a world overrun by you know zombie fungus i think you know it's the game we need Hmm. is this now a video games podcast sure why not (laughs) (laughs) okay Gentle. Uh, this thing that there was a TV show it, made it, of the first bit, there's another thing that's not happening. Well, let's just say it was a big news item for me this week and it upset me. <laughs> so on, on that note, I think we're done with all things uh, newsworthy. So let us move on to this week's reviews. And let's be honest, it's the main event and the moment you've all been waiting for. So first up this week... <laughs> The boys from the Dwarf are back. Yes, after a two-year absence, Red Dwarf returns, not with a 13th series, but with their first feature-length episode, which is in no way a movie. Uh, And this sees the gang turfed off their ship, pursued by the cat people that Lister created way back in the show's first episode, 32 years ago. Uh, But none of that 
really matters because the important thing here is that Terry has never watched Red Dwarf before and we made her sit through 90 fucking minutes of it unprepared and uninitiated smoke her a kipper she'll be back for breakfast so Terry was this in your eyes a Dwayne Dibley or an Ace Rimmer you see I only understood like 30% of those words <laughs> so so here's the thing I should clarify right so I'm a child of the 80s and the early 90s and what that means is that you know red dwarf was one of those things that was often on the telly in the background so like somebody would put it on probably my brother and i'd just be looking at it going what the fuck is that i'm not watching that so i've never actually paid attention or watched actively red dwarf however i've been in the same room as red dwarf being broadcast oh, so let me, same thing. let me make that clear um so the basic plot from what I could make of it um, is that these, you know, four guys, Crichton, Rimmer, Lister, Cat, have I got that right? Yes. Excellent. Um, so they're on a ship yes. and they come across this race of cat clerics or cat people <laughs> um, who seem to think Lister's a god and worship at the feet of him. And then they get into a battle with some kind of like feral overlord but they think he's a god because he saved this mother of the cats or a cat who was a mother and then he went into stacy's and then stacy's stacy's cafe and then the cat people survived um and that was kind of as far as i got and i can't work out if that's the entirety of the plot or just the kind of extent of my understanding of the plot i'm not sure it massively matters to be honest because this seemed to me, and I have to preface anything I'm going to say with the fact that I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about, um, but it seemed to be trying to navigate that kind of tricky space between fan service for kind of diehard Red Dwarf fans and something that could still be viewed by complete newcomers like me. So you had this kind of, you know, you had this brilliant exposition by way of Holly, that old guy in the computer, Um who you know results to re- reverts to factory settings, and so you get a handy guide to who they are. So they run through each character in kind of a one line about their backstory, which, let's be frank, wasn't the smoothest um, kind of piece of writing in the world at that point. It was fairly clumsy, but I understood the need for it. Um, as I, as I kind of alluded to, the plot is kind of thin, but I'm not sure if it's meant not to be. If you see what I mean. Um, what I will say is that the best bits are clearly between the four of them. There is chemistry to some greater or lesser degree. Um, what I was surprised about is the jokes on, um, like funny, really. Um, which I, <laughs> jokes on um funny, funny. I was trying to think of a way to describe it, but I didn't find the jokes funny. But let me tell you, that studio audience or canned laughter or whatever the fuck that was was a studio audience. Funny. That I, I swear to God, I found that so distracting, and it makes you realise how little you hear that these days. But that studio audience laughter was driving me mad. There's some pathos in there there's a speech by Lister which about the kind of him being the lowest ranking human which kind of I found kind of touching um 
There was a surprising lack of sci-fi. Like I read somewhere, somebody described it as like a philosophy Petri dish and you kind of get all of these big kind of questions and theories. And I kind of expected a Doctor Who-ish vibe of kind of digging into the actual sci-fi elements of it more. I understand that it's a sitcom. I get that. But I, I weirdly, bizarrely, God help me, was craving a bit of more actual sci-fi action. The sets are obviously not entirely sophisticated, but I'm presuming, again, they're not really meant to be, and that's deliberate. Um, and I couldn't actually tell if some of the external stuff, which is like the space and craft and battle shots were actual practical models or CGI. And I'm presuming they're CGI because, you know, it's 2020 and we don't have to build them out of toilet roll anymore. But my eye could not tell the difference, let me tell you that. <laughs> um, so, so I found the whole thing quite perplexing. Like, it reminded me a little bit of what of um, Fire Escape. Um, <laughs> and it, it reminded me of kind of what you think Doctor Who is. Like, that's for me what Red Dwarf is. Red Dwarf is what you reckon, Absolutely, James, 100%. Yeah. Doctor Except Who without is. the jokes. <laughs> Which one has well, jokes? I, expect, I, I feel like, for me, in my sure. head, in my head, Doctor yeah. Who is Red Dwarf without the jokes. That's essentially what Except it is. Except the jokes in Doctor Who are better. <laughs> well, Red Dwarf, well, Red Dwarf is Red Dwarf without the jokes. Let's go. <laughs> um, yeah. So I found it, yeah, I found it quite perplexing. I have to say, I got to 32 minutes in and I looked at the clock on the bottom of my screen and I was like, how is there another 60 minutes to go? Why has James done this to me? I fucking hate him. Did you make it to the thank end? Thank God. Thank God for social distancing, quite frankly, because I would have ripped your head off. Um, um, I made it to the end, but I found it so I kept getting distracted and then I kept getting confused. And so I watched it twice to try and understand. What? I watched three hours. Oh my god! Wow! Oh my god! Wow! That's extraordinary. The things you do for this podcast. This is the least Terry show in the world, isn't it? Um, It's it's this is a funny one because watching this, like I I realize it's it's two things. On the one hand, this is literally the thirteenth season of this show, essentially. It may be a kind of a movie length thing, but it's the thirteenth season in everything but name. But it also weirdly serves as an almost like a soft reboot. Like they've clearly gone out of their way to try and make it accessible to people who are just joining the show. Because it, it it sets up the premise, which we haven't really talked about. Like the cat people, they played a part in the first season, really. Like the broader cat people, like the cat's always in it. But the broader cat people were introduced in the first episode. And there's an episode, it's actually, to my mind, the very worst episode of Red Dwarf, uh, which is one called Waiting for God from season one. I hate it. But that's weirdly the one that this has the most connective tissue to because it covers sort of similar themes to it but this they've tried like you recap a few times the sort of setup of the show but i kind of think it's a little bit ill-conceived because i think like with the thing with red dwarf is if you weren't with this from the beginning you're not going to get on board now because it's it is a show very it's i mean it's 32 years old it's very much from another era it has not really evolved in any way and i think what it has going for it is a sense of familiarity and goodwill and the fact that we have those of us who watch it have grown up with these people and love these characters like the fact that it's like it's a bit unfunny and it's really cheesy and like i i fully appreciate if i'd never seen red dwarf before and i watched this i would be 
spitting venom at this point. What is this absolute shit? It made no sense. It wasn't funny. It was deeply irritating. And yet, I, of course, really enjoyed this because it's fucking Red Dwarf. And I love these guys. When I was a teenager, I used to tune into this. And I think though you're absolutely right. Red Dwarf was always at its best when it's like the four of them in Starbug bantering, you know, like Rimmer being a dick, Lister being clueless, the cat being an idiot. You know, it's it's just really fun. They're really broad, very sort of archetypal characters. But I get what that person who you read about said about the philosophy thing. Don't get me wrong. Red Dwarf has never been profound. But there are there are clever episodes. Like there's this thing with the despair squid that makes people want to kill themselves. They quote unquote wake up and they uh, uh, and they realize the whole lives have been a simulation or has it, etc. And, it, you know, it, it does ask interesting sort of questions about, you know, what happens when people are in isolation for a long time? What does it do to their mental health? It's all a little bit. Don't get me wrong. It's not delved into any kind of deep detail, but there are interesting premises that sort of bubble on in the background. I think the thing with this one was this was an okay episode of Red Dwarf. It wasn't a great episode of Red Dwarf. I think the the plot of this is quite weak, which is not the death knell for a Red Dwarf episode because some of the great ones have weak plots. The episode Maroon just sees Rimmer and Lister sitting in Starbucks just talking for the whole episode. Nothing happens. Uh, and it's one of the best episodes. So... I think, you know, if you, if people love Red Dwarf, there's still stuff to like here. But yeah, I, I do pity anyone who comes to saying, Oh, I've heard this is great. Let's jump into this and see what it's like, Terry. Oh my God. It's an hour and a half of strange people who look like cats sort of squealing and running around and singing people's names. And I have a question. If, if that cat guy is a cat. Then why didn't the cat people worship him? Why did they worship Lister? It's... Like he's a cat, he's their people. Like <laughs> what, what about the actual cat? It's complicated. Like... Uh yes. The, the, it, it, he's been he's long been held as a god to the cat people. Uh so the cat people uh going back into season 1 they all evolved in the ship's hold and then they 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 fled. They disappeared, dispersed to the stars and there were the 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 it was a religious war between people who worshipped Lister in different ways. It's a whole thing. You don't need to know. But uh, Boyd, are you a, are you a fan? Did you have you we, are you a long time Red Dwarf no. watcher? No, Red Dwarf is the show of all shows um, that makes me feel like you, James. <laughs> it's, just the, it's the comedy. <laughs> yeah, well, it's the comedy that I've never got. It's the honestly, it's the. Really? I would say it's the most long running popular sitcom that I, I've never been able to get into ever. And I've tried, believe me, I've tried. I think it started when I was, a, I lived in America for a year when I was a student. Mm. I think it started that year, 88, 89. You know, when you're away from something and you're not, and then you come back to the, to the, to your, to your friends and suddenly everyone's going, Oh, you Red Dwarf, you try Red Dwarf, it's brilliant. You know, I'm, I'm going back a long time. And I, tried and I, I always found it incredibly mediocre i always found the jokes like the shape of jokes without any <laughs> funny punchlines. and this i have to say i went through a weird experience watching this because i was like yep yeah, this is exactly why i don't like this show that it's got that sitcom acting that is perched between being incredibly um forced and uh, and too much and then they kind of tone it down a bit but then it's basically, it's a studio sitcom, mm. but it is possible to do studio sitcoms porridge. You know, I'm thinking of the classics that are still have subtle acting in them, but this goes fully for, you know, big, I'm declaiming every line, you know, they're all kind of acting in that way, which I find very off-putting and distracting. Um, 
and you know, like there are lines in it that are terrible. Like there's one point <laughs> and, and um, where Craig Charles like is insulted and he fires an insult back and he has a big build up to it and it's a terrible line. I'm not gonna, it, you know, I'll let people get to it. And I was like, oh my god, you know, like this is like a first draft. <laughs> script where they've just forgotten to put the jokes in <laughs> you know there's like and and yet and yet oh no as it went on right and it's and it is the scene that terry referred to where where there's a kind of t- discussion about free will and you know the robot hologram being being and he and he become he t- spoiler alert he be- turns into black and white which i thought was a nice little thing but that scene i thought okay finally like because it's just the four of them in and they're just chatting away and they're talking about something vaguely philosophical and from then on i was like okay i can finally maybe see after however many years decades of this fucking show why people like it and i was like okay yeah it's it's likable it is likable in fact all the characters are kind of a bit meh to me like none of them they're very thinly drawn I found you know for sitcom especially for sitcom characters which generally are quite big and bold and apart from their performances which are big but the actual characters are like they're quite thin and like what are they all like what's the point of any of them I'm thinking but actually for the last half an hour of this epic 90 minute way too long indulgent thing that fans will love obviously I was like I can see why people like it yeah you know they're likeable the 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 chat between them is enjoyable in a kind of you know if you like the characters you've grown to love them as people do with sitcoms they grow to love the characters and they know them however you know whatever outsiders think like me mm-hmm. you've never gone into it but by the end of it, i was like yeah i can see why people like this thing finally so i mean i didn't enjoy it i was bored <laughs> and you know i found the jokes unbelievably terrible some most of them every now and then there's like there's a good cat flap joke recurring cat flap joke that was good but generally, like the dialogue is weak, isn't it? It's weak. I don't want to sound too horrible about it because yeah. I, I can't argue with you. All of these things you're saying yeah. are hundred percent true, right? But, the, but in the end, it kind of doesn't matter because yes, I think exactly. fans will love it because it's just nice to be in the company, isn't it, mm-hmm. of those people? And I got that after an hour of this. Show. But it's, you're right. It's a very peculiar strain of humour in Red Dwarf. It's very much an acquired taste. Like, it's it's a real oddball line, and I think like because objectively, you're listening to this, this is acutely unfunny and yet here i am tittering to myself with a big grin on my face because i've spent mm. most of my life in the company of these characters like, i grew up with these characters so i love them and i love spending time with them and i absolutely adored this show when i was a teenager so even though it is objectively bad in places it's so much fun and 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 yeah i mm. just i yeah i did i did enjoy this a great deal i really did um you know it's the story is nonsense but the characters are great and it's funny how they have they've inhabited these roles so much and i love the fact that they kind of there are nods to how long they've been doing it like Crichton in this is like he's got rust all over him he's slightly discolored because they have been doing this for 30 years and i think dave very smartly recognized this so that i think the bbc dropped this i want to say after season seven which is pretty weak uh and uh i think that was when they picked up and then dave picked up this show recognizing i think that people love these characters and there's something about it and it's been i think it's been pretty successful for them since they've done it i think uh oh it's been the yeah the the specials the first specials they did were the biggest mm. hit they'd ever yeah, because season um, ten to was that point, great. Yeah. Like it almost felt like a return to form. Eleven less so. Twelve was good as well. Um, you know, and they they had that awful Blade Runnerish back to Earth one, uh, which was, which I think was in place for season nine. But 
yeah, like it's it's had its ups and downs. Like season one, weirdly, is is actually a bit ropey. But I think two to six is really the the sweet spots for me. I love I love season, season three in particular. It's amazing. Um, but yeah, it's it's one of these things. And if you love Red Dwarf, you will absolutely love this. If like Terry, you have no idea who Ace Rimmer is. You couldn't pick a polymorph out of a lineup, and you've never seen the cat try to take a leak in backwards. Uh, then uh, maybe give this one a miss. But Red Dwarf: The Promised Land. The feature length, The Promised Land, drops on Dave on Thursday, April the 9th at 9pm. Next up this week, Sophie Willen stars in the title role of BBC Two's Alma's Not Normal, a sitcom that the BBC describes as a show about Boltonian wild child Alma Nuttall and her family of eccentric, unruly women. Now, tradition dictates that Boyd will take this one. However... I'm going to have to give this one to Terry as well. Sorry, Boyd. But only Terry, because this seems really like a documentary about your extended family. (laughs) I mean, I'm not going to lie. There are certain uh, parallels between my life and this sitcom. Grandma Joan Um, is you in 30 years. That's all I'm saying. Oh, my God. Grandma Joan. Well, I I think I'm probably a cross between Grandma Joan and Mother Lynn, who's currently in a mental institution. So, I mean, I, I'm going to cut to the chase and I fucking love this. And before James starts in on it, which he <laughs> inevitably will. Um, so this for me is brilliant primarily because it is one of the few comedy shows that really deals with being a working class woman. So you always knew I was going to get on my class high horse about this, didn't you? Like, this is what you're yep. setting me up for. This <laughs> is what you're setting me up for. It's outside of London, which is amazing. I can't understand. What it's, is this you speak of? Exactly. It's about a working class woman. And I think in many ways, just those basic things about this program make it actually quite revolutionary. So we should say basically what it's about, which, as you say, it's about this this um, girl called Alma who basically everything's fucked, right? She's just broken <laughs> up with her long-term boyfriend. She's got no job. Um, her mom is a drug addict who's in a psychiatric ward. Her nana um, who raised her, you, there's uh, so, some hints about she's been involved in the care system. Um, her nana who has raised her has tried to make the best of her lot, mainly it seems by studying feminism, getting into feng shui and exclusively uh, dressing in leopard print bodysuits, um, which, which I greatly <laughs> admired and enjoyed. And it sounds, when you throw all those things in, because you've got class, you've got mental health, you've got the care system, um, you've got drug addiction, all these things which actually make it sound super bleak, but it's actually not at all. It has pathos, it has tenderness, but it's really not. And this is a semi kind of autobiographical um, story by Sophie Willen, who's a comedian and a writer. She won the Carolina Hearn bursary. Um, and she, you can see why she won the Carolina Hearn bursary because you can see absolute parallels there's real heart and warmth to her humor but it's also dealing with some really really difficult stuff um the supporting cast are absolutely amazing so Lorraine Ashburn is is Nana Joan Siobhan Finneran who you haven't really seen I was trying to wrap my brains of something she has done which is like this and I kind of ended up at Rita 2 and Bob 2 um as her mother Lynn and you know we last saw her in The Stranger probably um I think she's incredible um Happy Valley you know she's one of the great northern actors 
um, she plays the mum, Lynn. And it's a really difficult performance because she has drug-induced psychosis. She's in a mental institution because she set fire to her boyfriend's flat, who also has mental health issues. Uh, she's got no teeth. She's got these false teeth in. So when she talks, it's really disconcerting um, because you get the sense that these false teeth are too big for her mouth. Everything, everything's just slightly fucked in this in this show. Uh, but I thought it was handled really well. Her best mate, Leanne, is played by Jade Adams, who I think is also a comedian, who is a butcher. <laughs> There's an amazing scene where they're talking about her ex-boyfriend being a fucktard and she's bashing this meat, pounding this meat with a hammer and they're screaming at each other and it's just brilliant. And these, there's these lovely little set pieces through this. There's that one that I've just mentioned. There's a scene in her ex-boyfriend's house where she's sat with his mum. They're sharing a fag on the sofa. They're watching sourdough being The baked. best line, the best line, which made oh. me think of you, which is that, have you ever baked bread? And she goes, have a fuck. <laughs> have a fuck. And it's the fact that it's sourdough, you know, like yeah. the most middle class bread you can bake and they're sat and you know that his mum who is you know a a working class woman is gets up every day apparently there's a bit where she says she gets up every day she sits on the same bit of sofa eats a biscuit drinks a tea watches the same program slags them off smokes her fags it's just so brilliantly judged and done and i really appreciate it because i think there is a universality in middle-class comedies right so when people talk about fleabag which people inevitably will liken this to fleabag because it's got a woman in it who's a bit <laughs> fucked up um hot mess yeah hot mess this is you know hot mess but i think this i think not as many people will relate to this which i think is both probably a blessing and a curse for this show because i think it's much more singular i think it's much more specific i think it will kind of maybe um, influence how far it spreads but I think the specificity of this is what makes it so brilliant because if you think about Fleabag and, and middle class comedies you're either part of that world yourself or there's an aspirational element you want to be part of that world so you can identify with her job situation and her boyfriend situation and you know this this girl has a mum in a psychiatric world and was dragged through the care system and isn't just like, oh, I don't have a job. Maybe I could, you know, be a freelance writer. She has to go and, and sign on at the job centre. And there's a brilliant interview with a job centre woman um, where she's trying to ascertain what skills she has and she clearly doesn't really have any. Um, so I love that about it because I think there's very few opportunities for women like Sophie Willen to make comedy like this, get it commissioned and get it shown on big linear mainstream channels so i think it's a massive massive achievement i really loved it did did every single moment and every single joke land probably not i think that's probably fair to say but i think enough did and i think it had enough character and enough charm and enough warmth and enough intelligence um for me to really love it the end yeah i think that's the specificity point is really interesting because i think i think there is a, a universal universality to it which comes not f which comes from being on the other side from her so that first scene for me was so brilliant the first where she goes to the job center she she's in her pink fur she throws her bag down and she kind of collapses into the chair next to some poor guy and everyone and it has it captures that moment where you're in a you're in a office or you're in a public place of some kind and some loud in heavy quotes, like obnoxious, annoying person arrives and 
like throws everything off, everything off kilter, and everyone's like pulling their hoods up and trying to escape from her and ignore her because she's too much. You know, she's big. She's one of those people who's like, I'm a character, you know, and is proud of being a character. And I think the brilliance of this show for me was it, it, it over the over this pilot episode, and I, I, one can only hope and presume they turn it into a series. They have to because it is really good. Um, you get to know her and why she's like that and how she's using this persona, really, that she's created for herself without being a bit too poncy about it. Um, I mean, it's the real her as well, but, you know, she's definitely full on, I'm this thing, this unapologetic, loud thing. And I, that's where I got the, my universe was like, oh my God, I'm like, she's the person who she walked into the, you know, and started being, I'd be like, oh fuck, you know, <laughs> just, just you're just trying to not have anything to do with her. But she's incredibly likable and funny and um and actually once you get in, get to know her um you really want to know more of her so i thought that was a, just a brilliant device starting in, with that scene and it had me at that scene and then as it went on and you met the different characters and you met the useless boyfriend and the, you met the best mate um i just thought it was great yeah and it's really and it's so appropriate that she's won the carolina hearn bursary because you know it's very different it's not like you know it's nothing like you know, Caroline and stuff, really. But it's definitely a working-class woman mm. uh, putting her life out there and showing us a working-class world. And not only working-class, but also economically, you know, hard. T- t- life is tough. She's, there's one bit where I think she's asked for quite a small amount of money. And she's like, I don't have whatever it is, you know, <laughs> three quid. You know, it's like, it's that. It's like, not only is she working-class, it's like she's really hard up. She fucking needs work. She needs a job. And I thought it was just really well judged it's all about the tone isn't it of these mm. things and i think it's different to other shows we've we've done where there are you know it's dealing with difficult issues for that the people are facing and with the mental health all of that because it's flat out funny relentlessly i think and i think it's taken that decision to be every single thing so there are it doesn't really stop to be poignant i think Maybe, you know, maybe if it was a whole series, it would. But in this half hour episode, I thought it boldly just plows through. So you meet all these different characters with all their flaws and it's dealing with, you know, quite tough stuff, but it's not pausing to be profound or serious or dramatic. It's just carrying on with its very, very funny tone. And I thought it was absolutely great. Yeah, loved it. There is one scene I thought where it did, and I, I, I don't want to say too much because I don't want to spoil it for people. There is one scene where it felt like they did take that beat to have a bit of an emotional pause. Um, I know what you mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and, I, and that Just felt about. Yeah, and that yeah. felt important to me because I think if it had been gag 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 especially when she's surrounded as you say by genuine problems, this isn't, you know, oh god, yeah. am I going to am I going to be able to convince that guy I gave a blowjob to to marry me? It's it's genuine as you say hardship, mm. genuine um family breakdown not due to some fucking misunderstanding or not liking your husband's girlfriend it's it's a family breakdown due to the fact that her mum is is mentally ill and is a drug addict and clearly neglected her growing up but there's a real kind of lightness of touch um Mm. that i found really interesting but i find it really interesting that you relate to kind of those other people in that and i really related to her and that's why it didn't feel universal to me because like i was like i don't i think people will find it hard to understand her if you see what i mean because she is 
in such a specific singular place and her situation is so specific and singular um but you're right she's completely likable which is the important thing right which is you can whatever she does and however she behaves in the situation she gets herself in even within this first episode you really root for her you really want her to be able to work it out yeah, and she's she's genuinely funny. So I think to start with, you're like, oh god, she's trying so hard, and that. But it's about her yes. trying hard, and by the end of it, you're like, she just is really funny as well, which yep. I think is the key for me. James, James. <laughs> you will not be surprised to hear that I related to absolutely no one in this show. However, I really liked it. Um, oh my god! <laughs> I thought it, well, I think part of it is it's really well written and it's really well observed and it's very very smart. And one of the things I enjoy about you know these so called comedies of yours is I like them when there's a real intelligence behind the screenwriting and that like this doesn't opt for stupid humour. It doesn't go for the low hanging fruit. It's not looking for the easy laughs. And I think that's very much in its favor i also think it does a very nimble juggling act of walking this line between uh so there's lots of pathos there's lots of tragedy in this but it's very funny and they manage to do that sort of emotional sort of pivot very seamlessly where it's sort of slightly upsetting heart-rending and it's tragic but it's also funny and they have a real lightness of touch i think that requires a very deft hand and they really demonstrate it here uh plus there are there's a moment where someone does a karaoke uh rendition of sarah brightman's time to say goodbye which is quite extraordinary <laughs> and the opera yes the, 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 well, that's what it is yeah that's what it is you know it's oh, yeah. in italian you know and it's um and uh you know i just like she describes herself as uh think the baby in train spotting if it had lived and i'm like that's yeah, just that, that spectacular moment. you know there were some fantastic lines on this there's a bit where they're talking about prostitution which is really really funny um but yeah really really love this the sequence in the job center i thought was at once funny but also tragic and i couldn't help but thinking i would be so awful in a job center like what the fuck i mean can you imagine <laughs> me rocking up to a job like what are your skills i've seen star wars 157 times right okay brilliant anything else i can quote die hard very extensively Mm-hmm. right super like i'm basically unemployable by job center standards God, if this virus goes on we'll do you know what there. i mean it's like what the fuck are we gonna do yeah. boys can be like i mean i've seen tiger king and every other tv show on tv what does that get me they're like right do you have any James, transferable are- skills James, you are unemployable by any standards, not just job centre standards. Let's be frank. Be right. The reason you work at Empire and Pilot is because you literally couldn't work anywhere else. I think I think you may be onto something there. Um, but yes, I thought this was very good. I enjoyed it a lot. I thought it was I thought it was great. I might even watch more of this. And I thought uh, Sophie Willem was was really quite spectacular in it. So uh, and- yeah. shout out to the director as well because um, Andrew Chaplin also did Mr. Winner, which I banged mm. on about last week. Is still on and Game Face, Rashid yes. Connors' show. So he's clearly a brilliant director mm. of this of this kind of comedy. I think. Uh- Funny comedy. Funny comedy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well done on the funny comedy. <laughs> yeah. Alma's Not Normal, of course, drops on BBC Two on Tuesday, April the 7th at 10 pm. Uh, finally, this week, we would be talking about Killing Eve season three because we've been lucky enough to see it except we can't because the embargo doesn't lift until tomorrow so we're going to need to get into this one properly next week however and this is genuinely true i think this actually might be for the best as an interesting quirk of the screener we were given was that the watermark appeared slap bang in the middle of where the subtitles were meaning for great swaths of this episode i had no (laughs) godly idea what the fuck was going on so happily we now have seven whole days to learn both mandarin and 
and Russian. <laughs> so we're all good. We're all good. So Terry, you know, that, that's, there are a lot of yeah, subtitles. That's ha- homework for next week is learn those two languages yeah. and understand what happens in this episode. Yeah. Because, well, yes. guys, point of order, point of order. So the reason I went into previews was to see if it was any different in previews ah. than it was. There were no, there's no watermark over the subtitles in the previews oh. version. Hang on. What? Yeah. Yeah. I was sent a link. Yeah. Right. And then what, what Terry's saying, it's also now in BBC previews where all yeah. their previews oh, are. It was and in, in BBC version, previews yeah. as well. Yes. Okay. So the one where, that we it, saw had the watermark, but there's a version without yeah. the yeah. watermark. Oh, yeah. God. Yeah. Damn it. It's one of the reasons I watched it twice was right. because I was like, I have no fucking. Because <laughs> there was a whole segment I don't know what's happening. Don't know what's happening. Yeah. All right. Good to know. Good to know. Anyway, uh, boy, is there anything you'd like to say about this in advance of next week while being bound by um, BBC NDA? Well, we should say that it's got a very unusual release strategy for a start. So the, the BBC's thankfully, bearing in mind the first two series, we had to wait months, literally mm-hmm. months, while it played out on BBC America um, and AMC, I think it also has it. Um, and then they'd waited till all eight episodes. So then they we could all watch it if you wanted to as a box set and they'd go on Saturday nights, BBC One and as a box set. And that's how it became the phenomenon it did in this country. I think people loved watching it, binging on it and all of that. This time around, such as the clamour for it, that it's now showing on BBC iPlayer from 6am, the day after it airs in the US, mm. which that means months, so that's next 12. Monday, 6am, you can watch, but only weekly, not as a box set, so, so to follow its weekly release in America. And then they're showing on Sunday nights, the following Sunday, like you know, six days later on BBC One, prime time. So it's a slightly weird way of doing it, but, you know, at least it's going yeah. to see it on a weekly basis as soon as it goes out in America. So that's, so we can say that that's official. As for the show, I mean, all I'd say is a white, remember season two picked up immediately where season one left off. This doesn't, I think we can say that. And there's a time lag. And I, what I, I thought was very interesting, <laughs> interesting, not saying it's good or bad, is that everyone, all the major characters have moved on and are all in different places. And how, and we saw it introduce those people in those places. And I thought that was a very interesting, different way of doing it. And of course, it's got a new showrunner. Um, each, each series is passed on to a new female showrunner and head writer. Um, and I, and I still think it's, you know, yeah, well, that's all we can say about it. We can't, we can't, <laughs> I still it, think it it's I was so boring. <laughs> intrigued, absolutely intrigued. By the different, at least you know how different it, the, the strategy was this time uh, after the last two series. Okay, well, yeah. So, Killing Eve will drop. Uh, that no, that, to I think you're good. Cargo, I, I think, think you're good. The BBC hit squads have yet to shoot you. I see no red dots appearing on your head as snipers take sight on you. So, uh, Killing Eve, uh, six a.m. on Sunday the twelfth. We will review that in full next week. Also out this week are some other things, Boyd. Have we got anything? Is there anything else out oh, this week? God. Should we care? Is there? No, not no. really, to be honest. Major no. crimes I mean, comes to alibi. Up... That's about it. Didn't even no. know. No. Okay. Yeah. Well, there's probably no, some there's other things else. this week. I would say because it's the week before. It's the week leading up to Easter. So there's, there's, and you know, everyone's just doing virus programs. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, fine. So I would say our pick of the week is probably unanimously Alma's not normal. Oh yeah. God, yeah. Oh, yeah. So make sure you watch that. Before we go, do we have time? Of course we do for a quick banshee of a classic show. The word classic comes in obligatory inverted commas, but a classic show of yore that we wish to promote. Uh, Boyd, would you like to go first? Sure. I've gone for, I was thinking of, um, so I thought, cause we've done, it's basically very sitcom based this week, uh, especially for James. So I was thinking of, you know, interesting sitcoms that people might have forgotten about. So I've gone for London Irish 
which was Lisa McGee, um, her first show that she did for Channel 4, um, and it was about a bunch of um, 20-something Belfast expats living in London, as the title would suggest, um, and it was really good. It was, it was so Derry Girls, obviously. Sorry, Lisa McGee of Derry Girls fame. So before Derry Girls, before that became an absolute phenomenon, this show is it's basically like a, almost like I hate to say it, but I'm going to say it. it's like almost like a a very British Irish London Irish version of Friends. It's about a group of friends um, hanging out together. Um, they're played by uh, Peter Campion, Sinead Keenan, who is brilliant in everything. Kerr Logan and Kat Regan. Ardlo Hanlon pops up in it as well. It's very well cast. All the all the characters are very well drawn. All the actors are, are great. The script is as honestly is as sharp and funny and well observed in, in in many many ways as Derry Girls. It, it's it doesn't feel as unique and original as Derry Girls because Derry Girls obviously is about that particular different group of people and that feels much more unique. And I think that's why Derry Girls took off and became this cultural phenomenon. But London Irish was a really really good show and it only lasted for one series of six episodes on Channel Four in 2013. I think a lot of people didn't ignored it because. It didn't get that much of a buzz or that much of a hype. Um, at that time, like, com- Channel 4 wasn't doing much comedy. So, and I, th- I don't remember being that many comedies surrounding it, but I really enjoyed it. London Irish, Lisa McGee, and it's all on somewhere. You can get it all somewhere on. Thanks, <laughs> Boyd, for that. I think <laughs> it's that on all four. Driver. I think it's on all four, but I'll check. <laughs> London Amazing. Irish. Amazing. Terry, do you have one for us this week? I do have one. Um, so I wanted to banshee Smilf, Boyd. You know mm-hmm. this one, right? Yeah. James, yeah. you do not know I've this one, right? I've heard of it, but I've never seen it. It is, it is a comedy. I understand. Um, so this was Frankie Shaw's um, comedy, who is a writer, producer, um, and she kind of based this on her own experiences. When she moved to LA, she was trying to make it as an actor and in the TV industry, and she was um, found out she was pregnant, and much of this is, is based on that because... Um, Smilf, as in just in case people don't realise, is for single mother. I'd like to beep. Um, yeah, so... this podcast has no swearing. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. Sorry, fuck. Um, so it's about kind of her life as a single mother, her problems with her ex, um, trying to kind of make it as a single mother. And Rosie O'Donnell plays her mum, who is absolutely brilliant in it she's awful and acerbic and not helpful and kind of uh the most boston mother ever if you can imagine what that means um uh i love this it was really funny it was really kind of surprising at the time quite shocking it's about like how do you have sex when you live in a really small flat with your very small son for example um how do you still have a life as a woman how do you still kind of try and make your career work um how can you still be uh a a woman in your own right really james this has got you know you written all (laughs) over it with those central themes and this is all on Sky Comedy, I believe. Both um, yes. seasons one and two are all available on Sky Comedy right now. Yeah, and London Irish is on all four, as I suspected. I got, I've got, and Smilf is really good. Okay, uh, I got in trouble Sorry. again last week because I did Third Watch last week. Someone, of course, pointed out I have done Third Watch before, so I'm yet again. I saw this on despite the having a spreadsheet. I'm, which I'm still not checking. So this week, I suddenly had a moment. I thought, oh, I can definitely do this. And then this week, I thought, oh, fuck, have I done this week's before as well? And instead of checking the spreadsheet, I just thought, fuck it. And I plowed on and I'm doing it regardless. So this one, if I haven't done it already, and frankly, if I have, neither of you listened to me, so you won't remember, uh, is Touching Evil. 
Remember Touching Evil? So this starred Robson yeah. Green. Um, it was a drama. It was an ITV drama. Can I just say yes. before you continue yes. that I never thought we would hit Robson Green on this podcast. <laughs> I can't no. tell if we're scaling new heights or fucking scraping the barrel. It's really hard to say, isn't it? Um, but this, but this, this has good pedigree apart from being you know an ITV drama. So this was Paul Abbott, obviously, who worked on, on Cracker and did loads of other good things, State of Play. Uh, and this uh, this starred uh, Robson Green as a, as a detective uh, for the organised and serial crime unit dealing with dodgy, you know, organized crime and serial crime uh, it was quite dark as i recall and it was really really good i found it very compelling they did three seasons of this i think abba only did see it series one but uh but it was really good but the way main reason i'm picking this um is uh with two reasons really first of all uh russell t davis wrote this as well uh and second of all they shot an episode of this in the road where i lived i lived in a little close and <laughs> they shot an episode about a pedophile who lived in a house four doors down from mine <laughs> so there we go and i remember they shut this the only reason i watched it because they shut down the road when they moved in all the vans to film i said like, what's going on this i was talking about some greens touching evil i was like fine i'll watch it so i did there you go cool story um you can pick this up for three pound fifty from computer exchange or at least you could if all branches of computer exchange weren't closed uh, it's not streaming anywhere but it's actually it is surprisingly good it's got nicola <laughs> walker in it as well uh, who plays another officer and there was actually a u.s remake of this it only ran for one season before it got cancelled but it starred jeffrey donovan from burn notice he was in the robson green uh role but vera farmiga uh played the uh the nicola walker role so there you go fact for you Tutting is there evil. a subbrand of is there a subbrand of banshees that is is TV programs filmed near where James once yes. lived, but <laughs> yeah. he's not actually sh- convinced that the show itself is any yeah. good. So, I mean, Bonjour La Classe kind yeah. of falls into that same category, doesn't it? <laughs> oh yeah. I don't actually <laughs> appear classic. in Touching Evil, but my house does, and that's you know that's the important thing. <laughs> Excellent. Right. Well, uh, I think on that bombshell, that is it for another episode of the Pilot TV Podcast. If you like the podcast, then please do give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Uh, and if you just turned up this week because you heard Terry was going to watch Red Dwarf and wanted to laugh at her, then we hope you stick around. We are all on Twitter and Instagram if you fancy following us there, at James C. Dyer, at Boyd Hilton, at Terry underscore White. And we very much hope to see you next week, where not only will we be reviewing Killing Eve properly, but I'm very excited to see that a new series of an Amazon show I absolutely love is dropping as well and I can't wait to get stuck into that one. Bish, bash, bosh. <laughs> oh, oh, God. Pilot out. God. We, won't, we, we won't have time oh, for we that. Will. Oh, we fucking will. <laughs> <laughs> I don't God. care what else is airing. It's bosh time. Oh, dear.